Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. So what is financial freedom? Well, it's the freedom to choose. What do you want? Do you want more time or do you want more money? In many cases, you don't really have control over either of those things. You work as much as they'll let you work, and they pay you what they're willing to pay you. That isn't really success, is it? Is that definitely not financial freedom? You get up every day, and you go to work. You drive for hours and hours and hours in a car to get to a place where you sit in a cubicle. And to me, it's almost like being a gerbil in a wheel. You're going round and round and round and round and round, getting nowhere, doing the same thing day in, day out, over and over again, and then getting back in that car and driving through that traffic again to come home and coming home to a life of quiet desperation where your spouse is there and you're just hoping to, to come home and have some excitement, some fun, some love, and you get the piled on responsibilities of now, honey, do this, honey, do that, blah, blah, blah. Then you've got to deal with the children. And of course, everybody loves their children, but they bring challenges, they bring problems, they bring more stress. And of course, the only person who really loves you and doesn't really judge you is, of course, your dog. And yet, and yet, and yet, you have to go out and walk that dog and pick up his poop with your hand. Wow. Let's go to bed. Get it over with. Get back up tomorrow and do it again. How long will I do this? I'll do this from age 30 to age 70, 60, 70 years of age. I'll get up every day and go to the same place and do the same thing. Unless, of course, I get fired, terminated, laid off. Does that sound like financial freedom? No. That's no different than being in prison. Get up, go to the bathroom, eat breakfast, do what they say, get a few minutes of recreation, go back to work, do what they say, sit in your cubicle, and then go to bed. Do it all over again. Doesn't sound very exciting, does it? And until you read or hear the stories of the people at Lifestyles who've worked through the process of buying their life back from corporate America, buying their life back from poverty, from middle-class mundane lives of quiet desperation. That's what we're talking about. So people send me questions, send me statements, stories, and I love getting them. So if you want to send me any more of them, just send them to Ask Dell, and Dell spelled with one L, D E L, Ask Dell at L U I N C dot com. That's L U, which is Lifestyles Unlimited, I N C Incorporated, L U I N C dot com. Ask Dell at 
Lifestyles Unlimited Incorporated, but you don't put it Lifestyles Unlimited Incorporated. You put it L-U-I-N-C dot com. Someone sent me an article the other day. I was looking at it this morning, and it was about 10 reasons for financial success. And I was reading through it, and I think there was maybe two that I agreed with and eight that I didn't agree with. And that started me thinking, is there any real information out there? Is there anything good out there that makes any sense? I started looking on the Internet for stuff and just piling through it to see if there's anything I could find that really made any sense. And started me thinking about something. People always ask me, can you give me a good book to read about what you do or about real estate investing? And my answer is no. I really can't. I can give you broad generalization books that are very helpful in setting up your mindset. But I can't give you a book that says, here's what we do and how we do it. Because everybody out there has their own opinion. So I went in here and I looked for stuff that I could agree with. And I found an article that I was rather interested by. It's called Seven Key Reasons Why Financial Education is Your Best Investment. Now, I know that sounds self-aggrandizing, but it really has some interesting points. And I'm going to read these points to you because I think they're worth thinking about. Number one, most investment advice is dangerous and or half-truths. And it goes on and says, aren't you tired of all the financial investment experts with their conflicting investment advice? One expert says, diversify to reduce risk. And another expert says, don't diversify and calls it diversifying and ensures mediocre results. Okay, first question. I'm in the belief system that diversifying is in general diversifying. If you have 10 different options and you pick one of each of the 10, obviously one of those is gonna be the best and one of those is gonna be the worst and wouldn't you be better off if you didn't own the worst and if you own more of the best? I think that's pretty sound logic. If you don't, on the other hand, know which ones are, if you're not smart enough to know which ones are the best and which ones aren't, if you don't have a way of evaluating how good one investment compared to the other is, then yeah, you've got to diversify. So when I go out there to buy an apartment complex for myself, I'm going to put all my money into one big, beautiful, perfect, great location property before I take and spread that out over 10 properties. On the other hand, if I'm gonna invest with people I don't know, if I'm buying into passive deals, and first of all, I'd never buy into passive deals with people I don't know, but if I'm buying with passive deals with people that I know to generally be good and have proven track records, then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pick not 10 of those people, but five of those people and spread my money out over five people. Now. Why am I diversifying? Because when times get tough, I know I can count on myself to go for all of the very best resources. I can count on myself that I keep extra resources around, that I have massive rainy day funds, and I have the willingness to not be embarrassed to go ask for help in bad situations. Do I know that of every other successful person? No. A person could be successful many times in a row, then run into something they've never run into before, and not be willing to seek out help. Or, because they've been successful, have developed a 
structure of reserves, financial reserves, money, that's not deep enough to get them through some really difficult times. Let's go on to the next one. It says, one expert says, pay down all your debt because it's bad. Another says, leverage up with good debt to build wealth. Again, paying down your debt's not a bad thing. I don't have any personal debt at all, zero. Not a home, not a car, nothing. However, I have lots of investment debt, or what they're calling good debt. So good debt, which is really debt, that is leveraged to invest and build wealth, I believe in. But do I believe in no debt? No. Going through an article here called uh, Seven Reasons Why Financial Intelligence is the best investment you can make. We've covered a couple points here already, and we're on the second point, which was um, some people believe in good debt, and other people believe in no debt at all. I need to get this one out because this one is really a harsh one. Very famous gentleman by the name of Dave Ramsey's out there telling everybody you should have no debt at all. No debt at all is probably the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, other than maybe you should have all kinds of debt. But it just the concept is to say, look, Debt is dangerous because I, Dave Ramsey, didn't know how to deal with it. I lost lots of money because of debt. And so now I'm telling everybody, don't have debt. That the people that I borrowed all my money from and didn't pay them back were bad people. When the truth of the matter is, they weren't bad people. You were bad people because you borrowed all their money and didn't pay it back. Right? So the bottom line is that the way I see it is like telling my daughter, look, driving a car is dangerous. And a lot of people die from driving a car and had massive financial disaster from driving a car. And so I suggest to you, my daughter, you should never drive a car. I think you should ride a bike for the rest of your life. And that's what Dave Ramsey's telling people. Pay off all your debt. Don't even have a loan on your personal residence. Don't have debt anywhere. And it, it's just a terrible concept in many ways. Now, you can break this down into multitudes of levels of thought process. And I took it one time, I was listening to Dave Ramsey's show, and he, he said, the guy called up said, look, I just got $25,000 inheritance. I've got a pickup truck. And uh, should I pay the pickup truck off for the 25000 You know, take all of it. And Dave Ramsey told him, of course you should. You need to get out from underneath that debt. And I thought to myself, I wish I could call in and just help this poor kid. Because the truth of the matter is, he could have taken that $25,000 and he could have bought a rent house made ten or $20,000 on instant equity, which would have doubled his windfall of the 25000 bucks. then he would have an asset that's paying him four or $500 a month positive cash flow, which he could use to pay the payment on the truck. And when the truck wears out, instead of it being worth nothing and him having nothing, the $25,000 expiring and being gone, he would still own the rent house. And he could use the payments from the rent house to buy additional truck. Not to mention that the rent house would go up in value while the truck is going down in value. So he's putting his cash into a declining value asset. Not very smart, but that's the way Dave sees it. Now, the point of this article is, is that, okay, why is it so hard to get good advice? Because most advice is bad. And much of it is dangerous. And the people giving the advice don't know what they're talking about. And yet it's out there. It's in books, everywhere, in podcasts, everywhere. 
One expert says the stock market is the key to riches. Another expert tells you more millionaires come from real estate than any other source. Well, that little statement is true, but that's not only the only reason why real estate is better than the stock market. One reason is it's tax deferrable. You can get out of paying taxes on it forever if you want, but if not, at least while you're building wealth, you can keep buying real estate in 1031 and forward, not paying taxes on the rental income because of depreciation. You can't do that with the stock market. And the stock market won't produce a living for you. You can buy enough real estate that it will cash flow enough that you can retire, quit your job. You can't do that with the stock market. Stock market doesn't pay you any income. You have to understand the difference. When you're taking money out of the stock market, you're taking money out of your investments. That'd be like me selling off a house to live for the year and continue to sell a house off each year until I had no houses and no money. It's just not even close. The rates of return we earn on these deals are anywhere from probably the highest return I've ever earned was like 400%. A more realistic return on a deal, when you look at the cash flow, the tax advantages, and the capital gains is probably more like 100%. The cash flow alone is anywhere from 8 to 15%. You know, not counting the cash. And it's the leverageability, which you can't do with the stock market, is unbelievable. So again, as a guy's making this point, you have different ideas put out there by different people. And so what I'm saying about this article is the guy's actually right. It's almost impossible to know which one of these people out there actually know what they're talking about. That's why at Lifestyles, what I do is every single month in every city we have an office in, we bring in three people to tell their stories. And that allows you to do two things. One, it allows you to see people just like yourself so it's more believable. You see some talking head on TV, hear some talking head on the radio, you don't know who they are. You don't know if they're real or not. I mean, that's the reality. These guys, many of them just lie. I know a couple real estate investor radio shows. The people giving them are my students, and they did so poorly as investors, they had to go on and be talk show hosts to make any money because they're not good at real estate investing. They're not rich from real estate investing. They're rich from other things, maybe. Maybe not even rich at all. But that's what I mean. In in every way, shape, and form, you just have a problem trusting who you're listening to. So you need to check people out in way more detail than what you guys do. Don't let their verbiage be their checkout. Meet the people that they say are rich and see what they look like, what they act like, where they live. Otherwise, you'll never know. I'm going to go on to this next point now. Remember, there's seven points why your financial education is the most important thing, more so than your investments, but to invest in your financial education. So number two, it says one size doesn't fit all investors. Despite all the investment experts selling seminars and courses, want you to believe there aren't any secrets, there aren't any secrets to investing, to Paraphrase John Bogle of Vanguard Investments fame, the secret is there is no secret. Well, the reality is there is no secret, but there is a lot of information you don't even know you don't know. That's the reality. People that have done real estate investing for years show up at our seminar, listen to it, and go, my gosh, I wish I would have listened to this 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Because I've been investing, but all of these ideas to maximize or improve the returns, I mean, I was making some money. But I wasn't making the kind of money you guys are making. Now, we don't call those secrets. In fact, 
we try pretty much to say there are no secrets simply because we don't have some secret sauce that we invented. We have expert examples. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Successful Lifestyles Unlimited member retires in 10 months. The hardest part for me was to drop off my son, go to a job that I absolutely hated for five years, but know that that was a sacrifice that I needed to make, and then only be able to get to spend two hours with him after school before he had to go back to bed. So that's why once we started and we joined Lifestyles, we said, okay, we have a roadmap. We know what we're gonna do. And then a month later, we find out we're pregnant with baby number two, and we're like, okay, we gotta kick it up a notch. So that's how we were able to purchase four different properties and um, replace in 10 months, replace my income in 10 months so that whenever I finished maternity leave, I didn't have to go back to work. I think a, I think a couple weeks before she baby came out is when we closed on a fourplex and that was enough for her not to have to go back to work. Are you ready for your roadmap to real estate retirement? Attend the online free workshop just like Carolina did. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Welcome back to Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today we're talking about an article that discusses um, seven reasons, I believe it is, that uh, financial education is your best investment. Now, we were on number two, we went to break, and it was one size doesn't fit all investors. And we were really discussing the difference between the stock market and real estate investing and different types of investments. But I want to share with you that even within real estate, there are probably 20 or 30 different types of investments you could make as far as products you could buy. You could buy single family houses. You could buy small apartment complexes. You could buy fourplexes, which are not really apartment complexes. You could buy small apartment complexes, medium-sized apartment complexes, large apartment complexes. You could do it as an IRO, or you could do it as a syndicator and syndicate deals. You also could buy commercial pieces of real estate. There are triple net lease deals out there where you can buy grocery stores or you can buy gas stations or you can buy fast food stores. There are strip shopping malls you can buy and there are commercial buildings that you could buy. All of these different types of things fit different people's needs. Now, we can take it one step further than that and that is your age versus your resources. When I started out, young, not a lot of money, willingness to go out there and take a risk. So I went out there and I bought very leveraged single family houses where I had to do all the work. I didn't have to pay for any management. All the leverage was on me. All the risk was on me. I had signed for all the loans and I put up the money. And I had no problem with that risk and I had no problem with that work. I later then started syndicating deals and I started with small ones because that's all I knew how to run. And I grew a little bit each time I did a deal. I got a little larger so I would have the education of a little bit larger deal. And so after a while, being a syndicator, small deals didn't make much sense anymore. And so the what was right for me in the beginning became after a while a bad investment for me for reasons that had changed between my availability to resources and my availability to time and energy. As I moved on in life, 
the deals just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where I had large deals and multiple large deals. And then the work became too much. I was making more than enough money to satisfy my desire. But now I was working my dog off because I was managing all these big businesses. And then I came to the conclusion, well, I would rather, instead of owning four big apartment complexes, where I own 25% of each one of them, I'd rather own all of one and only manage one. And so I downsized, sold off a bunch of my stuff that I had partnerships with and bought some big stuff that I own all by myself. Then I got even lazier in that. And then I decided that, well, I don't even want to do that much work anymore. So now I'm going to become a passive investor. And I started investing with other people. And then I noticed that investing with other people wasn't nearly as profitable as owning my own stuff. So I went back and bought giant stuff for myself so that there was only a few businesses I had to manage to make tons of money. On and on and on. The story keeps growing. I keep changing. You know, I keep buying different types of investments that are more and more leaning towards not being involved, not having anything to have to do with them, and less and less on how massively profitable they are. Because now I don't need the massive profitability because I'm already at the point at life where I have more than enough money to live a great life for the rest of the number of years I'll ever live and my wife will ever live. So at my point, it's just a matter of I don't want to work that hard. And so it changes again. Now, if you would have talked to Dell at any point along the way, you would have gotten advice that was about that moment in my life. That would have been poor, poor help. Because I have to look as a consultant, I have to look to your situation and figure out which set of circumstances would work best for you. What is your needs and what are your resources And what is your time and energy availability? And with that, we figure out what is the best step for you. All right, let's go down to number three here and see what number three has to say. It says, how to overcome the conflicts of interest in investment advice. Let's see what they have to say. The only person 100% committed to your pocketbook is you. Everyone else is conflicted, has a conflict of interest. No less an authority than Alan Greenspan told Congress that for the increasingly complex financial system to function effectively, widespread dissemination of timely financial and other relevant information among educated market participants is essential if they are to make the type of informed judgments that promote their own well-being. Well, that's a whole bunch of hooey and pooey to me. I think the guy just needed more stuff to stick in his article. The bottom line is, is that you're never going to overcome conflicts of interest. You're going to look for them. And when you see them, you're then going to look deeper when you see a conflict of interest. I find them all the time. They're everywhere. Everybody is going to look out for their own personal interest, even if, by the way, they define their position as a fiduciary. What is a fiduciary? Well, that's the legal term for them being required by law and their license to make sure they put your interests in front of theirs. You think they will? Absolutely not. Financial planners are going to sell you the stuff that their office tells them to sell you. Whatever they can make the most profit on, that's what they're going to put you into. If they're in a company where they get paid by portfolio percentage, then they could be picky about what they put you in and not have to slam you with commission stuff because it's not where they get their money. They get their money 
as a percentage of the overall portfolio. That's the lady on TV saying, we structure our business in a manner that we do better when you do better. What does that mean? The more money you got in your plan, the more money we get paid. That's what that means. She's a liar. That commercial is a lie. That company is a lie. And I don't even know who they are, so it doesn't matter. I'm not picking on a company. I'm picking on a commercial that is proof of conflict of interest. Who is the only person that's going to know that they're picking the right stuff for you? That's you. And you better be a part of that decision. Don't ever, and I guess if there's a point to be made for this, don't ever turn your financial decisions over to someone else. Not even family. Not even family. You know that your family has a conflict of interest. Probably one of the strongest conflicts of interest there is. Your spouse wants your money. Your kids want your money. Everybody in your family wants your money. Or, even sadder, they don't want you to have money because they don't. So do not allow your family to take over your financial condition. Number four, you can delegate authority, but you can't delegate responsibility. Many people want to believe that their advisor will take care of their financial issues like retirement, college, savings, wealth, planning for them. I guess that's what I just said. You can't delegate your responsibility to make good financial decisions. I don't know how many people over the 30 years I've been doing this have sent me an email stating, you know, Dell, I listen to you. I love what you have to say. Let me tell you my story. And the story starts with my ex wife, my ex husband, my brother, my sister, my father, my mother, somebody related to me destroyed me financially. My best friend, it's always somebody close to you because you have a unnatural willingness to believe whatever they say. And because of that, you put yourself in very bad conflict of interest, financial situations with people. And you just got to stay away from that. Bad news. Let's see what number five says. Your financial intelligence compounds like money. That's an interesting one. It's critically important that your financial intelligence grow at least as fast as your portfolio. Why? Because there's nothing more financially dangerous than a million dollars worth of investment decisions being made with a thousand dollars worth of financial intelligence. I take my hat off. That's a good one. That is really right there. It is. Because the decisions you have to make change with the more wealth you have. They are different in not only size, but they're different in complexity. And your options are greater than when you have less resources. So the more resources you have, the more information you need. So your financial investment intelligence needs to be as great as your financial investment. We've been looking at an article which basically says that seven reasons that investing in your financial intelligence is the best investment you can make. We got down to number six and number seven left on this, and they're pretty much pretty obvious. Number six is financial intelligence is the one investment you can never lose. You've got it. You have it. You'll have it for the rest of your life. Now, I have seen people forget it and do the same thing twice. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Number seven, true freedom and independence requires financial intelligence. We discussed that at the very beginning of the show. You're really not financially free if you don't have the intelligence to make the decisions to put you in that position. Now, I pulled another article I did want to get to in this last segment, and I'm not going to be able to do it justice. Maybe we'll come back to it again. But I do want to tell you that this is the best article I found as far as the real things you should do to be financially successful. Number one, establish goals and commit to a financial planning. Absolutely must do that without going into detail. I had a plan. The plan was I was going to buy enough real estate to replace all my earned income, and then I was going to retire. Well, that's a pretty simple plan. Well, it's pretty simple. I buy house after house after house until I get there. 
Does it need to be more complicated than that? Not at all. Can it be? Yes. Number two, analyze and determine your net worth. Here's one thing I see a lot of people don't do. They don't even know what they own. They couldn't tell you what their house is worth. They couldn't tell you what their net worth is. I keep a spreadsheet. I know exactly to the dollar on all of my assets that you can track by the dollar amount. And on my other assets, I have a financial statement, which, you know, some things has to be estimated. In other words, a business that is not tradable on the open market to determine its value, you have to input some type of a a formula. And, you know, the formula can vary depending on who's doing the evaluation. But other than that, I keep track of everything. Every single month, I track my cash flow from every one of my sources. And I'm saying I've probably got them just off the top of my head saying there's probably 15 there. There's 11 there. There's eight there. 26. I say there's over 30 different resources I have for earning money, different businesses, and I track every penny every single month. Number three, become financially successful using a budget. Budgeting should be simple. Do it backwards. What do I mean by that? Get your paycheck, save the amount you're going to save, pay your bills, and live off the rest. Don't live off it pay your bills, live off of it, and then what you have left, save, because you'll never save anything. You've got to pay yourself first. You have to set up the amount you're going to save. So in other words, if I know that my budget, if I'm going to earn $2,000 a month, I'm going to save half of that, $1,000 a month. I'm going to set up my lifestyle cost of living to be 1000 a month, not vice versa. I'm going to take the 2000 and live like a 2000 and then try to cut back and save. No, I never let my cost of living get up to even half. I lived since I was a kid on half what I've earned. Now I live on less than probably 1% to 10% of what I earn a year. I allow myself to spend more every year because I earn more every year, but I never allow it to go up in percentage-wise. Number four, pay off debt and build credit history. Building credit history is absolutely important. Paying off debt is not as important. It does occur eventually when you have so much money that you don't need debt, but until then, it's not that important. Number five, spend less than you earn. That's obvious one. Number six, create an emergency savings fund. This is very important. You need an emergency fund. Now, here's the interesting point. That emergency fund needs to grow. The more you own, the more resources you need. As I'm sitting here now, having lived through a COVID environment for a year, having lived through a giant ice storm here in Houston, having lived through these disasters, Knowing that I have to be able to support my personal residence damage that occurred, my apartment complexes damages that were done on different complexes, different units, and so forth, had to be reserved for. There needs to be the more you own, the more reserves you have. So keep that in mind. Your reserve needs to grow as you grow. Number seven, get insured against catastrophic losses. This is absolutely true. You need insurance against everything that's a catastrophic loss. If if it could take you down, you need insurance for it. Now, what do I never buy insurance for? I never insure electronics. I never insure warranties. I never insure any of that stupid stuff. They're just trying to sell you some insurance on something crappy because I can afford those losses and to pay the insurance is a waste of money because most stuff actually becomes worthless before it gets broken or worn out. That's just the way the world is. Things are changing so fast, they become obsolete before they actually break. But for big things... You better have health insurance. You better have automobile insurance. You better have homeowner's insurance. You better have liability insurance. You better have those things because when they come calling, you need to have them. Number eight, IRAs, retirement accounts. It says here you should have them. I'm saying you should not have them. They're worthless. They don't work. They're useless. And they take money that could have been used to get rich. Number nine, diversify your investments. Again, 
It depends on what you're doing. If you're buying stuff for you're controlling and you're in control of, buy the best asset you can, not a diversified bundle of bad investments. Number 10, take a long-term view. No, never take a long-term view. Take a short-term view. What am I going to earn this month? What am I going to earn six months? What am I going to earn a year? I never look out past a year on almost anything I do because the world will be completely changed. The Democrats will change the world. The Republicans will change the world. The weather will change the world. The bottom line is you have a generalized main path and then you have a very specific short-term plan. How long is short-term? One month to one year. And that's where you focus. Well, my friends, I hope some of this discussion has helped you to understand that your financial information is probably the most important thing that you own. And if you don't have any, then you better start investing in probably what this article says is the most valuable investment. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.